Hello, and welcome back to Voices of the Valley Flora and Fauna. This is Soleil and Ramona Gaylord. And for this week's notebook, we will discuss a phenomena that has been making headlines this week, and one that our family personally experienced while hiking the Colorado Trail in the South Platte region last week. Similarly, a handful of our Telluride friends also experienced this extremely disturbing happening, whereby hundreds of songbirds were literally falling from the sky, and many were lethargically resting directly on the road or trail. And note, these are actually songbirds or passerines. In, In other, other words, words, they like perch on the, on the branch. And, um... and in the process of sitting on the roads, many were subsequently actually getting hit by cars. So I was driving, I was shuttling uh, Kent and Soleil, and while I was driving to the shuttle point on the Colorado Trail, I noticed two birds that were on the road, so I pulled over because you don't usually see like two birds with, uh, within a few feet of each other, and I pulled over, I always stop for roadkill if I can, and I wanted to see what they were and get them off the road. And they were uh, violet green swallows, which are insectivores. And it, I was like just a little bit mystified and concerned. And then I went um, to the trailhead, and Kent and Soleil were there, and we started loading up our backpacks. And at that point, Soleil, take, what did you start to see? Yeah, so I noticed um, many small birds were lying dead in kind of little patches along the road. There would be five or six in a pile. And a few days later, this fallout was actually significantly recorded in New Mexico. Um, it actually made headlines of the New York Times. It was in the Aspen Times. It was in the El Paso Times. Many newspapers started picking up the story. And many of us here in Telluride that spend a lot of time outdoors have noted this summer as being a particularly outstanding year for small bird spotting, especially warblers. Um, bushes and trees have been alive with these birds, and we have observed so many of them, um, from Audubon's to Wilson's warblers. They have been just voraciously gleaning at insects all summer. But tragically, the cold snap that we had last week and the snowfall has hit these populations very hard, and I've been Speaking with various biologists that think there are actually a few separate things that may be going on simultaneously with this recent phenomena. And our first guest um, on the show today in answer to these strange ecological questions is our family friend Jack Dumbacher, and he is an amazing ornithologist and curator of ornithology and birds at the California Academy of Sciences, affectionately known as CAS. Um, Jack how are you doing out there in San Francisco with the smoke? <laughs> doing good. In fact, the smoke's finally lifted. Great to be on your show. Hello, Telluride. Um, yeah, everything's good here in San Francisco the last couple of days, and it's been great to be able to get back outside again. But I, I'm afraid the smoke might be heading your way or even beyond you guys. Yes, indeed. It's already hit. Yes, it was kind of misty today. And... Um, on re in regards to fires, Jack, I know you've been doing some research, some fire-related research with birds. And um, before we start talking about our, our tragic fallout here that we found um, in the South Platte region with all these birds in the Front Range region falling out of the sky, do tell us a little bit about uh, your research, part of your research that you've been doing in California regarding birds and fire. Sure. No, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, we've been 
um, we've been studying how uh, biodiversity responds to fire. Like everyone has been saying that we need to have more fires on the landscape. Fires need to return to the landscape. And a lot of, you know, folks, literally millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars are, are spent to, to try and um, prevent fires from getting onto a landscape and, and, by basically, you know, by by doing prescribed burns or mechanically treating the forest, but what? But one of the things that we've noticed is that you know, folks aren't really asking whether or not all those treatments are creating healthier forests or more resilient forests, and so that's kind of what we're trying to do, and and we're trying to to use um, bird diversity as a proxy for you know all, overall diversity. Although we're adding some other species too, but we know birds best, and so we've been working in this this area just south of Lake Tahoe in the Sierra Nevada. Um, and we were able to get in there three years and survey birds. And then last fall, they did a prescribed burn and they burned over the forest. And so this spring was the very first year that we were there post fire. And it was, the landscape looked amazing. It was just exactly what, you know, managers hoped for in a fire. So, you know, there were some places that burned severely and some not so severely. Um, and a real nice mosaic across the landscape. And it cleared out a lot of the brush and a lot of the, uh, the, the, the young scrubby trees and uh, and a lot of the duff that was on the forest floor. So, uh, and we saw a ton of birds there this year. So, um, it was great to be out there, um, even with COVID hitting. And, and it was nice that they actually let us into the forest this spring. I think because of the study and because it was such a critical year for the for the work. So anyway, fires is definitely front of mind here for everyone in in California. And so, you know, we're hoping that our data is going to help folks figure out how to better manage the forest in the future. And speaking of those so. fires, yes, thank you for that that work. And it's becoming such a um, big part of the whole mosaic of the West now, fires and uh, the decrease in biodiversity. And uh, fires are, we've been reading in the articles, maybe one of the factors uh, involved in this this for lack of better term, fallout, bird fallout. Can you speak to that, Jack? And what, some well, of the other things. Yeah, no, um, I've been reading a few of these reports. In fact, you know, I first heard about this from you two. Um, Ramona sent me a text the other day telling me about that, that she had seen this. And so, you know, I went online to try and find some information. And, and at the time, there wasn't much information yet online. Now, if you Google this, you, you'll find, you know, articles from newspapers all across the South, and um, and you know, so it's so it's amazing how widespread this is, and and how many birds each person is encountering. You know that I mean, I've heard numbers, and that there's probably hundreds of thousands, but I suspect that there's probably easily many millions of birds that are, that have been dying. And um, from what I've been able to read, you know, we really don't know what's what the what the cause is, but there's been a lot of interesting speculation. Um, and one of them was, you know, when, when you first saw them, Ramona, that was right around when you got that big cold snap in Colorado. September so, 11th, you know, yes. First, right, right. You guys had, you know, some unseasonable snows and, you know, really cold weather. And so, you know, the, so there was some speculation that perhaps it was caused by that um, and that, you know, birds just got too cold and were freezing or, you know, um, starving because they didn't have enough uh, fat to keep warm. Um, but then when we realized that, you know, that, that this was happening later and even earlier, you know, so it, it wasn't just around that cold snap. Um, and 
uh, and it was happening in, in Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, even parts of um, southern Nebraska, apparently, and of course Colorado, where you've seen it. Um, somebody put together a really cool iNaturalist project, and I, you know now I can I can look. There's over 500 records, which is a very small number given you know how many people have reported this and how many birds each each person has seen. Um, but if you look at the map, you know it, it looks like it's you know there's it looks like it may even be broader. There's a couple of records in Utah, maybe one or two in Nevada, and and some along the California coast. Although when I've looked at some of those records in California the dates might be a little bit off. So it may be a different phenomenon, but it may be part of the same phenomenon. Okay. Um, you know, but I think all, all of this data is going to help us figure out what, what is going on. So let's see. So we mentioned that, you know, one thing could have been the cold snaps, but the birds that are, that people are finding appear to be emaciated and, you know, starving. And so there's a few different things that could cause that. Um, one of them is that we've had these huge fires in the Western United States. And it may be that many birds that are, migrating from further north you know they see all this smoke and they reroute they're like can't go that way you know it's it's too smoky interesting and um and so they may have rerouted themselves you know into into states like colorado and new mexico where there haven't been as many fires where the air is clear but where there aren't as many insects for them to feed on so it you know it could be that you know that's that's what or, or that's exacerbated it um you know, it's also possible that there just wasn't enough food on the wintering ground. We had a we had a case. Um, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but um, there were a whole bunch of, of migrating gray whales that were starving along the route. And um, and when when scientists all put it together, it, it it all pointed really to the fact that they weren't getting enough nutrition on the on their wintering grounds, and that there wasn't enough productivity up in up in the Alaskan waters where they fed. Mm. And so, you know, I'm I'm hoping that some of the biologists are, are taking note of where these birds are coming from and asking whether or not they had good winters there, or I'm sorry, a good summer there, and that they were able to fuel up. Because, you know, birds do need to feed along the way, but the fact that there's this many um, dying in these, you know, in these numbers and in this large geographic area, you know, suggests that it, it may be broader than what's just happening here in the you know lower United States it might be might have something to do with the, the wintering grounds and you know another thing that's happening is we know that um, it's been much warmer yes um, and when it, when it's warmer you use up more water and you become dehydrated quicker um, and the way that you the way that animals can get water when you're dehydrated is by metabolizing fat and if you metabolize your fat for water when you need it for migration you know that could also lead to starvation so you know it 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 could also be related to to global climate change and and you know unseasonable warm summers this year and and all the warmth that we've had during the migration route so you know those are all different hypotheses and some of those i've seen mentioned some of them i haven't but um but I think the fires and the cold snap are, are definitely things that every, is on everybody's mind. But, you know, I hope that people are looking to the, to the uh, breeding ground as well. I noticed in one of the articles that I read that, that researchers in, in New Mexico were collecting samples from many of the birds. Yes, they and are. I think that and, yeah, and their hope was to take the feathers and that you can use stable isotopes from the feathers to help pinpoint the origin of those birds, you know. And then people can say, 
can figure out, oh, is it just birds that are originating in this one area and there's something about that area or maybe, you know, there's summer conditions or, you know, is it birds everywhere? Is it, and, and you might also be able to ask, you know, are these birds that typically would be flying along the California flyway, but they've been rerouted? Or these birds that would be typically along this flyway, and so you know, hopefully, um, hopefully, folks are, are collecting some of these specimens. Oh, and I should say too, absolutely, that because I'm a researcher at a museum. Um, you know, if you if you encounter birds like this, if you save them and throw them in a Ziploc bag, put the date on them, the locality where you found them, and your personal information, so that people can contact you, throw them in the freezer. And, and hand them off to a local museum. Man, I wish I had done that, Jack. And we had th- these birds in piles in these little clefts, and we took pictures of them, but I regret that I didn't put them in bags and uh, put them in the freezer. And by the way, folks, listeners out there, we are speaking with Dr. Jack Dumbacher of the California Academy of Sciences. He's the curator of ornithology and mammalogy, and he is discussing right now with us the bird fallout that happened last week and some of the uh, theories and proposed uh, propositions about why these birds died and what's going on. And uh, he's just kind of giving us an overview of things we can do as observers. If we see uh, birds like this that are on the ground or dead or lethargic and uh, mentioning uh, to put them in a plastic bag, note the date and time, and place where you collected the birds. And interestingly, that uh, data can be analyzed from their feathers about where these birds originated from. I didn't realize that, Jack. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and if and having those specimens at a museum can be extremely valuable and really help people to figure out what what is going on. Um, you know, but just to make sure that everyone knows you're not supposed to be collecting specimens yourself and it's illegal to hold on to, um, specimens like that and, and keep them yourself. So, okay, um, okay. but I've never, I've never heard of anyone getting, um, you know, in, in trouble for it if you pass them off to the museum as, as soon as you can. So just keep that in mind too. I just want to make sure that, um, you know, people don't think I'm trying to encourage them to do something that's illegal. Okay, okay, perfect. And wow, what a fascinating uh, set of all these factors happening as we are in this strange part of planetary history and climate change and uh, just seeing uh, awfully strange biological phenomena. And um, thank you for trying to to give us a little light and uh, illumination on this, this uh, mysterious bird fallout. Yeah, thank you, Jack. And yeah. um, I might have a question for you. Just um, I've always kind of been fascinated with the notion of the sixth extinction and that we're kind of in this massive extinction crisis, but in particular regards to birds. Um, and I read the other day that North American bird populations have plummeted by like 29%, some staggering figure. And I don't know if you would, I mean, I'm sure you know, what are some other factors that may account for this decline in bird populations and why have they been particularly hard hit? Um, do we, do scientists know the answer to those questions? Yeah, I think we, I think we, uh, we have a lot of information on that. Um, and I would say, you know, the, the number, one of the number one causes is habitat loss. Um, that's a huge one. And, you know, 
you don't have to look that far to see that a lot of land has been converted to agriculture and um, a lot of land has been converted to cities. Uh, and so, you know, just available habitat is, is disappearing everywhere. So that's probably number one. For birds, there's a lot of other anthropogenic causes. Um, uh, the major, one of the major ones is probably your outdoor cat. If you have a cat, don't let it go outside because, um, you know, between upwards of a billion, somewhere between a billion to four billion birds, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, are killed each year in North America by cats that are allowed to roam free. And that's a, that's a huge number and it's a huge impact on populations. Um, and then, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in the last couple of years about window kill and, you know, building strikes of various sorts. And, um, you know, so that's another one. Anything that you can do to treat your glass windows. And we've been involved with some of the studies here in, at the California Academy of Sciences. And one of the things that we've learned is that, you know, yeah, big, tall, shiny buildings and cities do kill a lot of birds. But really, the, the reason that, that so many birds are killed across the country is that if you add up every window in every house and remember that, you know, birds are more active in the woods and in, in inappropriate habitat. So um, if you have a house that's in a beautiful spot, even if you're only killing, you know, two to three birds a year with your windows, if you add that up with all the other people that have homes, it's a huge number of birds, um, and it's been estimated to from, uh, you know, 500 million to a billion birds a year killed by, by window kills. And, you know, and those are some of the those are probably some of the top causes and actually like hearing your numbers um seems very conservative to me in fact the um world wildlife fund published a report a couple years ago and by their estimates and remember that their baseline was 1970 in this but they estimated that you know about two-thirds of the bio of of the uh the populations of things um, are, have been lost from 2020 um, to nine, from 1970. So, you know, that's two-thirds. Wow, so that's of, about double the figure and, that I had. Yeah, and, and it's not the same as extinctions. Um, I mean, a lot of those things will eventually go extinct if the numbers keep plummeting like this. But, you know, because one thing to talk about is extinctions, but you can say, oh, yeah, but not that many things have, have actually gone extinct. But it takes a little bit of time and effort to really drive something all the way extinct. And it takes some time before people are even willing to admit, you know, if, if it's like, even if you saw one last year, you'll be like, oh, I just saw one last year. You know, it's, it's 30 years later be- that no one's seen one before people are actually willing to admit that something is extinct. But what we do know is that, you know, the population sizes of just about everything are, are really going down. And, you know, there are some winners that are, you know, that things like starlings and things that do really well in, in human environments. But, you know, for the most part, those uh, are, are more biodiverse habitats, like what you guys have in the valley. You have an amazing, you know, patch of, of western mountain forest. And, um, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that are really taking a hit. They are indeed. And on that note, in our western forests, um, uh, we have an expert, a local uh, bird field guide, ornithologist, naturalist, Eric Hines, who is also going to speak uh, more locally about his experience with uh, this fallout last um, September 11th, last uh, Thursday night. And um, 
he has uh, yes a harrowing sad story to tell as well about some of our local species here but uh, we want to thank you Jack and again this is Voices of the Valley Flora and Fauna with uh, Ramona and Soleil Gaylord and we uh, were fortunate to have as our guest host tonight or today on our show Dr. Jack Dumbacher uh, amazing ornithologist, naturalist, lover of all things of flora and fauna nature. And thank you once again, Jack, for being here for us. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Thanks and for having me. It's thank been you, really Coda. Talk with you guys. All right. So, our second guest today is going to be Eric Hines. Eric is a local birder here, and I will have him introduce himself, but we are very, very grateful to have him on the show today. Welcome, Eric. And can you tell us a little bit about what you do? (laughs) Yes, thank you so much, Ramona and Soy. Um, Yeah, my name is Eric Hines. I live, I've been living in the Telluride area for about four years now. And my background is in wildlife biology. And I work as an international bird tour leader uh, for a company called Field Guides, based out of Austin, Texas, um, which is not very um, COVID-friendly business. So... I have pivoted, like so many of us now, in 2020, and I started my own local guiding company called Box Canyon Birding, and just trying to get people out in nature and enjoying birds and wildlife, which I am passionate about. Lovely. Um, Thank you for that introduction, and I think you will be a great expert to consult on this recent phenomena that we have been seeing. So first off, Eric, if you could just describe to our listeners, what you saw last week um, here in Telluride, and give us some visuals there. Absolutely. Um, so people who love birds and migration in particular um, tend to be a little bit of weather buffs, and I was sort of looking at the um, storm that was predicted coming to our region, a strong cold front with precipitation, snow for a lot of us, and uh, realizing that it would have an impact on migration. So. I was actually uh, looking forward to it and for the uh, the birding that might happen. So I got up really early on uh, Wednesday the 9th, and I headed up to Miramonte Reservoir in the south-central part of San Miguel County. Um, It's sort of an oasis, one of the few bodies of water we have in the county. And I was there at sunrise and was actually was blown away. Um, It really exceeded my expectations. There were lots of shorebirds, which we don't see too many of, things like sandpipers and such around the reservoir, uh, but what was more striking was all of these uh, aerial insectivores, these flycatchers and swallows and such that were grounded from the storm and literally ringing the reservoir. Uh, by the time I left midday, I had counted hundreds of flycatchers and sparrows and warblers and swallows and such, and, and many of them foraging in a very different manner. Um, so it was exciting for me as a birder to see all these birds I don't normally see, but it was also pretty tragic to watch them suffering and, you know, normally feeding in trees and up in the air and they were hopping on the ground or just basically huddling in the cold. And, and my sort of elation from that migration phenomenon uh, really faded as I drove home, came back through Norwood and then drove the San Miguel Canyon. I live in Placerville. And I counted over 50 um, roadkill birds, mostly yellow-rumped warblers and Wilson's warblers, in the San Miguel Canyon in a 12-mile stretch from Norwood Hill to my house um, in Placerville. Uh, these birds that normally are up in trees, uh, the, you know, between the wind and the snow, I think the insects were knocked down, um, and they were just struggling to find food. And so they're on the roadside, and 
became more aware of what was happening here and just think about the big picture, you know, why was this happening? Um, these are birds that are already struggling with the well-documented decline of insects in North America. And in particular, there's a well-documented decline in aerial insectivores, species that rely on catching insects in the air. So swifts, swallows, flycatchers, um, and some warbler species as well. And, I, and so I became aware over the course of the next day or two that this wasn't just here, but over a wide swath of this area in Colorado and in New Mexico. And uh, I think a big contributing factor, obviously, the storm getting snow in early September. Uh, these are neotropic migrants. These are birds that breed here in North America that spend most of their lives in Central America uh, for the most part. Some go all the way to South America. And they normally are gone. They've migrated away before the snows hit. So having a heavy snow at some elevations in Colorado this time of year, that early was caught a lot of birds that were still migrating away. Um, and so that, and I think another contributing factor, because um, nothing happens in a bubble, but I think the smoke from the massive wildfires across the West yes. probably taxed some of these birds that were leaving their breeding grounds north of us, and they were already sort of in a weakened state um, and challenged. The respiratory systems were challenged. Their ability to find food was challenged. And so by the time they got to our region, and this storm hit, it was tragically sort of a perfect storm of combination of factors that really uh, just led to, you know, many, many, many birds perishing. Wow, Eric, that is um, a fascinating story. And very, very sad and humbling, yes. Particularly striking that your day kind of started on this positive note, seeing these birds en masse and, and um, transformed emotionally throughout throughout the day that's that's striking and a very relevant example of how climate change will impact our biodiversity in the coming years absolutely it was it was definitely a very emotional day for me um and i will say it was interesting as tragic as that was at the time there was sort of a a little bit of hope at the end the next day i was in the park down here in plaza with my children and uh, there were several dozen warblers feeding on the lawn. Um, it was just because I think the insects were knocked out of the trees and the birds were weakened. And so I was seeing Wilson's warblers and you know, yellow-rumped warblers. I even had some pipits and some sparrows that were hopping on the lawn and just behavior you don't normally see. So those that survived the storm um, did their best. And then by Friday, I saw things back up in the trees and, and back to sort of normal. So there is... You know, not ever, they didn't all die, but boy, it was, it was a really tough thing to witness. Yeah, and Eric, I have a question for you. So is this phenomena local, or did we see this across the state? Did we see this across the Southwest? What are your theories and suppositions as to the geographic extent of this phenomena? Yeah, this, this unfortunately was, was a pretty tragic and widespread event. It was a powerful cold front, and, and a large swath of our this region, the Southern Rockies, um, got hit by this system. So I, I think birds suffered not just locally, not just in the state, but neighboring states as well. Um, and so the migration, the birds that have evolved to migrate, there's great risk and there's great reward. Um, so our birds that eat seeds and are resident here, things like chickadees and, you know, uh, our cellar jays and such, they're used to this sort of weather, and so they didn't get hit nearly so hard. But these birds that normally remain throughout their year in a warmer climate and eating insects, 
Um, they just really were decimated by this storm. So I think uh, the challenges that these birds face with our shifting climates are going to be continue to be exacerbated by the situation. Wow, Eric. Well, thank you so much for your input today and your description of that devastating experience. And um, so with us today, uh, listeners out there, that was uh, Eric Hines. He's an outstanding bird specialist. He works for field guides. Uh, he's a professional uh, field guide birder. And if you ever have any questions or would like to take a tour with Eric, he is a walking encyclopedia. It's a most fabulous, wonderful, amazing experience just to walk with him for even 10 minutes. He spots things that uh, you would normally just walk by and not notice. And it's always a joy to walk with Eric. And he has his Box Canyon birding now. So he's our local expert on birds. Thank you again, Eric. Yeah, such a pleasure to have you my on the pleasure. show today. All right. Thank you so much, Ramona and Soleil. My pleasure. And uh, look forward to getting meeting people out in the field. Absolutely. And thank you, KOTO. This is Voices of the Valley Flora and Fauna. And stay tuned for further adventures and in wildlife intrigues. Thank you, Ben.